Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. Anyway, hello. Welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. And this is another special because I've been delving into my archives to find some classic interviews from yesteryear that have been, they're gone, but I decided I should sort of try and somehow um, archive these precious works of art. Um, So yes, this is one that I did a couple of years ago with the author Sam Neill. He did a book titled Memory of a Free Festival. It, uh, well, Memory of a Free Festival, the golden era of the British underground festival scene. It came out in hardback. It is a classic, fantastic photography. Um, Cicada Books. I do believe. So um, do check it out if you get a chance. But before we have the interview, I think we'll play a little bit of, well, a band that somehow seemed to sort of epitomise that world of the underground free festival movement. Yes, it's going to be your favourite of mine. It is the one and only Hawkwind. Hundreds 
Steady on. That is Hawkwind with a track titled Hurry On, Sun Down. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this is going to be the interview that I did with Sam Neill, author of the book um, that came out on Cicada Publishing. It's titled Memory of a Free Festival, the Golden Era of the British Underground Festival Scene. Check it out. Buy it. It will change your life. Anyway, this is it, the interview. And this is where I began by asking about the background and why. You put Sam put the book together, and this was his answer. Sam, take it away. Well, what it was, I think my um, my previous book called The Bag I'm In, um, that focused on I think 36 um, underground youth scenes um, in the UK between the early 60s and late 80s, and um, in that book I talk I focused on a couple of the early 60s scenes here where I talk about the growth of the counterculture and the um, peace movement, the CND, and the whole the sort of the art school, sort of beatniks that were sort of that were into that at the time, and then I sort of follow it on discussing later. I discussed the sort of space rockers and all the sort of like UK sort of like hippie um, sub factions. So I, I, I sort of touched on I touched on the sort of festival area there just slightly. And I thought, well, actually, you know, it'd be great just to put a book together purely, purely on that, really, you know, and, and you know, sort of focus on, yeah, the, the, the peace movement and, and the, the growth of the hippie movement and and the counterculture, really, just through through a sort of golden 
golden phase of the, the early 60s through to like mid-80s. Really, I, mm. I was just going to ask you, do you have a landline? This number's not bad, but I didn't know if, um, if you had a landline next to you or that. You know, I don't. You know, I don't, I'm afraid. Oh, no, so, that... Should I move? I can always go to another room. Um, that's not bad. I just thought, you know, if you were just sitting next to a landline, it would just be. But that's, I mean, it wasn't, it's it's kind of fine as long as it, nothing completely goes. Be- okay. Yes. Yeah, so just, yeah, so that's fine. I'll make sure I edit that last bit. Because obviously, um, you, you take it, I mean, the festival scene that's part of that hippie movement sort of, one of the sort of the main years, and it was the Summer of Love, was 1967 when there was kind of a big event that happened in January in San Francisco, and then there was that huge event that happened, the 14-hour Technicolor Dream in Alley right, Cali. Yeah. And yeah. then after that, you know, we had um, Monterey, which was kind of glorious, and then Woodstock, which got a bit messy, and then Alt- Altamont, which sort of some people, in a slightly simplistic way, thinks that was the sort of the death of the 60s. But Yes, yeah. But interestingly enough, your period, you know, and the and the British kind of, I suppose, the festival scene really sort of sparked after Woodstock and Altamont with the Isle of Wight. And then That's after right. that, there was a lot of sort of things like Stonehenge and, and sort of yes. uh, bits like the Winds of Free Festival. So that, right. so that was quite interesting that, um, that the UK really sort of, I mean, it captured a sort of scene a lot of people who were sort of trying to get out of the city and lead a much more simple life, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a return to um, yeah more of a rural existence. I think there was um, people were trying to. Oh, your your actually your phone's just gone a bit there. Has it? Yes. Maybe I should move out of the room. Oh. oh. Maybe that'd be better. If I go into the hallway, maybe you'll get a better reception. Okay. Let me go through. Can you hear me? If I go through to the hallway. Yes, it's not too bad. I just I'm think here. it's just when you just sort of um if it, if it sort of goes up and down, it's always a bit tricky actually. Yeah. How's it out here? That's not too bad. That's fine. Fine, okay. Hopefully it will stay. I mean, yeah, so, yeah, could you just give us an idea of sort of what was kind of happening for the UK? Because your book covers very much that sort of the the early years of the festival movement in this country. Yes, I think it it developed very differently. I mean, they were initially very influenced by the American... Oh, no, the quality's gone again, sorry. Oh, has it? Yes. Let me, um, Actually, where you were probably at the beginning was probably much better. Okay, so I'll, yeah, I'll go back to exactly my first spot. Your first spot. <laughs> Sorry yeah, about that. that's all right. Uh, how about here? Yes, that sounds good. Okay, yeah, just say a few more things. Um, okay, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah, the UK festivals, there yeah, were definitely initially influenced by the American festivals, um, but then they, they sort of found their own identity towards the end of the 60s. Is that coming through? It's not that brilliant, actually. Oh, how annoying, because the first bit was actually, probably now looking back on it, was much better. Oh, damn. Uh-huh. Are you at home at the moment, then? Yeah, I'm at home, but you know what? I don't have a landline anymore. No. We just, um, we just stopped using it a few years ago, and then I think it's just become obsolete. Yeah. I can move. Move over here. I'm stand over here, possibly. How's it now? <laughs> that's good. That's good. Does it look at? Do you? Does it look like it's a strong signal there? Yeah. Is this like, does it sound better there? Yeah, that's fine. That should be fine. Okay, good. I'll stay here. That's to fine. stay there and yeah, don't, I will, yeah. And don't move a thing. Yeah. So yeah, could you just de- describe a bit about that that period in the seventies when I suppose there was a sort of a 
a lot of people were looking for a different way of life, weren't they? Yes, definitely. I think um, with with the hippie with the hippie subculture, I think it became by the end of the sixties, it, it started to split, and I think some some factions became quite commercialised, and then because of that, it became more of a sort of hardcore hippie element that tried to sort of um, you know dis- disenfranchise themselves from that really, and it started a, a pure sort of like hippie. Sort of subculture where they were moving away, moving away from the cities and going back to more of um, almost more of a you know, not, not a pagan existence. But there was an element of that there. I think of people returning to, you know, living off of the land more and more of a rural sort of like folky existence type of thing, and rejecting rejecting mainstream society and just with yeah a general withdrawal from you know this middle of the road. I think that started to happen really by the beginning of the 70s. Well, I think, yeah, because I was going to say you were talking about sort of living off the land, because there was a book that came out sort of during the sort of early 70s, which was um, John Seymour's book, which was called The The Complete Book of Self-Sufficiency, which I remember a a lot of old hippies bought in that sort of hope that living off the land was going to be quite straightforward and easy. But they found it was incredibly hard work. And, and And though it started with very good intentions, I think most people couldn't, you know, after a few years it just became too much and yeah i think it is quite a graft isn't it really to, to, to do it successfully i think there probably was a you know, it did probably fall apart to some degree i think there was an air of um you know there's an air of fantasy about the whole thing in some way that, that, that life could be instantly idyllic you know and yes. i think that's pro- possibly where a lot of some of the problems came with the free festivals over time i think it became more and more turbulent you know and there was more and more more and more clashing with the police and with communities, and when you when you had the um, the peace convoy later on, it all became I don't know, just like it's sort of lo- it generally sort of like gradually loses its sort of um, flowery sort of that like hippiness and becomes more you know it goes more into the, into the punk period and slightly more tinged with aggression. And everything, yes, you know? because I think. Because what you you said there was quite interesting. Because I know sort of there was a lot of fairs and festivals in this area in the seventies. That there was the Albion fairs, and yeah, Barsham, the Albion festivals, and right, and, yeah. and the Barsham fairs. And I think yeah. they were quite they were quite soft and quite sort of I don't know slight fantasy because people had a very yeah. me- medieval theme and and That's it was right. and it was quite an innocent sort of period. They're innocent, aren't they? Yeah, they, they criticised that though as, as well at the time that I read bits and pieces about them where people. There seemed to be like a certain, almost like they're almost like the beginning of a sort of the middle class type festivals yes. or something. I think they're sort of like near that in some circles, aren't they? I think because they're less, they're less about being like rock music festivals and that. They're more, yeah. Well, yeah, there was definitely, I mean, I think with those particular festivals that happened, there was definitely, it wasn't about a big centre stage or a pyramid stage and superstar. No. I mean, people were there to participate and be part of the festival rather than just being spectators. Yes, and they're more family-based, I think, by the looks of things, aren't they? They're sort of, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're more inclusive of everybody. Type well, they were, and I think the problem, the big clash came really was, was with the travelling convoy or the so-called peace convoy which kind of caused a lot of problems because there was kind of one side that was very ideal you know idealistic and everybody was kind of peace love and understanding yeah and another side was kind of like this hard call like you'd get sort of i don't know five 
do sort of 20 sort of buses turn up and people, you know, wanting to A, get in without paying and then B, not wanting to leave afterwards. So that, yes. that created a lot of problems with the local community who found yes. this invasion was a little bit too much. And I think the organisers at the time didn't really know how to handle such an influx and such a sort of attitude of people, really. Right, what, is this the Albion Fair? Is this yes, like, this is the Albion Fair. That's why they them, they wound them down. Yeah. yeah, so I think most of the people who tried to organise them sort of quickly gave up because they yeah. couldn't quite cope with them. So when you, because I've sort of looked at the book and it's got some fantastic photographs. So were these um, pictures that you'd been collecting from various people who had photographed festivals during the sort of 70s and yeah. 80s? Yes, yeah, some of them Some of them were. Some of them, I mean, A lot of the contacts I'd made from... Um, previous books where I've been looking just for yeah, UK youth subcultural sort of photographs more 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 from a sort of fashion angle. Yeah. Um but I found some good contacts initially via that via them and then I sort of just started reaching out to lots of other people. And um yeah, before you know it, it all starts to snowball actually. And there was a few key people I contacted that had a real wealth of their own personal archives, you know. Right. But generally, it was um, yeah. There's lots and lots of people, lots of individuals that may have only taken one or two photos, you know. But there's one, there's one chap I contacted who was um, well, actually he lives in he lives in Norfolk now, but he's actually he's from East London originally, and he um, he's a teenager in the mid '60s, and he went to the Uxbridge Festival in '65, and he uh, borrowed his parents' camera that had um, five exposures left on the film. And uh, they said that he could use the five exposures. And he went to the, went to the concert anyway. He went to the festival, and it was it was just a one day festival. And he took these amazing shots of the Who playing like really close up. Right. And it's it's like little stories like that. But I think it's obviously you know having having buying film then was quite a expense. You know, and I think the family would make a film a roll of film last for a whole yeah you know, summer or longer you know so they had to be really sparing with each exposure but he um he contributed those photographs that had never been seen before and then you know it sort of just leads on with people like that really just contact these. i mean i was trying also quite important i was trying to contact people that um that weren't journalists or anything they were they were more actually people that were in the scenes that took the photos yes like from from within the scenes you know they weren't really um Spectators in the same way the journalists that go there to, to document an event, they were more personalised, you know. So I wanted to try and give it more of a grassroots, from within type feel. Yeah, because actually that's the other thing, you know, what you touched on there was quite interesting is that you'd have a film which was obviously it either had featured 24 frames or 36 when you were yeah. pushing the boat out, and it would last a long time. And also, the use of photography at these events kind of was often debated whether sh people should take pictures and whether yeah. it subtracted from the occasion. So, yeah. again, I think people felt a bit guilty a little bit. Oh, I think so. I think people were quite self-conscious. And I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes the camera can be seen as... Um, as a barrier, almost, I think, you know, if you, if, I think not so much these days, but I think then if you were walking around wielding a camera, I think people were very, it made people feel slightly self-conscious, I think, they weren't used to that, you know. Yeah, so and I also... I generally can feel it, I think. I know? think this is definitely the pre-Instagram years, isn't it? And the oh, yeah. And, and the selfie. And also, there's a lot of the festivals in that period, um, I can remember quite well, but a lot, a lot of people did like nudity in those days. There was a right, sense, yes. There was a sense of sort of like 
I suppose, I suppose rebelling against, um, yes, the man, society. The man, yeah. And, and, and sort of one of those things was to get naked. Which yeah, was, just, yeah, the shackles of society. I yes, suppose, the, the constraints of, of uh, underpants and yeah. all sorts was, was <laughs> yeah. just being, you know, like... You were, you know, because again, I mean, there was, I mean, with most scenes, there is a little bit of competition that goes on. And actually with the hippiedom, there was, you know, like you had to, sort of, you, you know, there were certain things that you got kudos for if you had or owned or you did, which, yes. which gave you a bit more status. So obviously, yeah, sure. so obviously sort of being naked, running around and, um, and, yeah. being, and being wild and crazy, you know, probably went down. Well, in some, card, in, some in some circles, that was probably a good thing, whereas in others, you'd have been locked up, probably. Yeah, so, locked up, yeah. So I that's think that must have, um, that whole nudity thing, I think that must have faded out by the end of the 70s. I don't think that was quite so, yes. quite so apparent then. That was no, the that wasn't, actually. And obviously, yeah. so how long did it take to get the book together? Uh, this, actually, only about a year, I think, about a year. Right. Sort of beginning to end. And I've been working on another book simultaneously so yeah it's been it was actually quite straightforward i think because the story it's quite a tight story really when you when you sort of like break it down and i, I and i wanted to end it around that whole beanfield type incident you know and where where it seemed to like that whole wave of festival spirit just seemed to be sort of like wiped out really i think you know and then i think after then Everything everything was changing anyway in society. I think the whole rave culture was coming up, and yes. you know, I think the whole idea of a sort of rock concert, I think, was almost becoming slightly more prehistoric. I think so. I was just trying to focus on on, on that period from the very you know very end of the end of the fifties through to the sort of early mid eighties, and I think that's the real golden age of the festivals from from the start to finish, really. You know. So, I think with, with with the tightness of it, it was quite not not easy to put together. But I I had quite strict boundaries, you know, so I couldn't really sort of trail off anywhere. Yes. Well, it and I thought, of... uh, sorry, I, I thought the um mainly actually the title, the title. I've always liked that David Bowie song. I've always liked just the, the sound of it. It's just always quite evocative of all, all kinds of things. And I thought partly I sort of built the the book around the title of the song. Actually, you know, I just thought it'd be. It'd yeah. be great to have a have a book called Memory of a Free Festival. And I thought it all, all worked. It all seems so perfect when you have the Beckenham Festival and him performing. It all seems to sort of bring it all together anyway. Yes. Well, and also, I mean, for those who haven't come across the famous Battle of the Beanfield, do you want to just give us a a bit of an overview of what happened and um, and why things were never going to be the same again in that sense. Well, yeah, I think what it was, I think throughout the 80s with the with the, the, the increasing sort of friction and schism between the, the festival goers and, and what, what became the Peace Convoy, and then you'd had the, the whole the whole Greenham Common um, women's camp. And there was all, the situation then was getting more and more heated between the counterculture, which by then was the, the post-punk, more anarcho-punk. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really hippies as such anymore. Although, although really, it was. You, you can almost see the evolution of the hippie going into the anarcho punk. It's almost like a nat, you know, a natural path. But you know, the anarcho punk sort of represents the society around them then, as opposed to the sort of late the early seventies. It's now, you know, metamorphosized into the early eighties, where the society is much more harsh. You know, mm. you're into that into the whole Thatcher era and 
you know, huge unemployment and there's all kinds of social problems everywhere, you know, so, and the you know, Falkland situation is going on. I think there's a massive divide between the sort of punk counterculture and, say, the police and the sort of the real, you know, the stoical sort of like face of, of Britain, you know, so, I, I, and that really hit boiling point. Um, in in eighty in eighty five, and I think there'd been there'd been increasing friction at the previous Stonehenge festivals. So things had been obviously getting out of hand, and I think there was a lot of drugs being sold openly and all kinds of things. Where a lot of them, you know, people of more ill repute sort of jumped into the festival. You know, they weren't really pure festival goers. They're actually there more to make money. And you know, there's, a, there's a, definitely a senior side that senior faction that, that sort of like tagged on to the whole thing and in a way to destroy it for everyone else mm-hmm. because I think they were a minority so you read about the um, 84 Stonehenge and it just sounds thing, you can tell that things are, are at tipping point and the police presence there is quite strong mm-hmm. and the following year you just know that it's you almost it's almost inevitable it's going to go off and I think by then there is there just a real boiling point and you know, whatever happened that day is is pretty appalling. But I think, yeah, it's just that and that that really changed everything. I think that after then, I don't think could be the same. Yes. You know? And I think it kind of marked the end of that of that free festival spirit in a way. It kind of just dampened it right down. Um, but at the same time, I think it was almost becoming. At the same time, I think it was almost becoming passe anyway. I think a lot of a lot of the people that had been involved in the free festival a few years before, I think by then they'd already kind of bailed out and they could almost see the new, you know, with the whole e-culture coming in and stuff like that. That that was really, for a couple of years at the end of the 80s, that was um, a return to the sort of like early 70s sort of spirit of the sort of Windsor festivals and stuff mm. like that, you know. It's almost like a sort of set the same psychology and the same, ideology but it was just sort of transformed into you know electronic music and and via via ecstasy as opposed to whatever else people were doing beforehand you know so yeah i don't know it's just that in a way it's just um i mean people said it's a painful thing which is you know obviously it was very bad but i do think it sort of it was just so inevitable it, uh, it is a sort of dividing line in in british sort of social history at that point i think you know between the the hippie of, of your yeah. And that is the interview, and that's the end of the interview with Sam Neill, the author of a book titled Memory of a Free Festival, the golden era of the British underground festival scene. Um, it came out a few years ago. It is still available and uh, at a good price, so do check it out. And also he's done a couple of other ones, a fantastic one titled Untypical Girls. I like that one a lot. Um, but anyway, thank you ever so much for listening. If you want to contact me, or not contact me, well, you can, just to say thank you. Um, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just go to at C86show. And also all these shows have been archived, in, including these little extra extra ones that aren't particularly about the C86 indie scene. I must somehow file these better. But you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and Mixcloud. So, um Yes, any any interview you ever wanted with an indie band from the 80s, I've probably got them there. Anyway, have a great week. I'll leave you with another track by Hawkwind because we love Hawkwind here and that's good enough for us. This is Urban Gorilla. Have a great week.
Stop.